Welcome to Two Guys, One Lightsaber, the podcast for the casual Star Wars fan who likes to talk, have fun in a galaxy far, far away. Brought to you by your hosts, Mike Pandoff and Ron Burgess. Welcome to Two Guys, One Lightsaber. I'm your host, Mike Pandoff. And I'm Ron Burgess. Ron, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Getting ready for the uh, big game tomorrow. Yes, we are recording this the day before uh, Lord Tom Brady <laughs> wins another Super Bowl, probably. Or, you know, our last hope in Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> I can't deal with another Brady Super Bowl, so let's go Chiefs. <laughs> yeah, but if he does win it, it just cements that he's a GOAT. Or every other team, yeah, I mean, literally one, I know we're not a sports podcast, but literally one season on a team and he takes them to a Super Bowl, that's really something out of video games. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, with all this, you know, the help in between sports, we're about to go through a sports lull. Thank God we have Star Wars. Yeah, uh, multiple announcements, uh, confirmed characters for future seasons. Uh, which yeah you you blew me away with one or two of them already and i'm like oh snap i didn't think she would really come into this so we're gonna have a fun episode we're not gonna go super detailed into characters we're just gonna kind of give you the background of like characters that you might have not watched before yeah or that you will see in future live action things or uh rumored uh to be in future live action things some of these are confirmed some are rumored yep well, let's just uh, we'll we'll start with Mandalorian season two since there was a lot of um, of course Clone Wars love and Rebels love. Let's just dive right into Ahsoka Tano. She, I'm glad this was one of my favorite characters to actually come to live action form. Yes, Filoni's crown jewel of a character. <laughs> yes, yeah, we we all knew once he was coming on Mandalorian that Ahsoka would have to come on at one point. And, and oh, always, um, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Um, and the fact that she's so loved, but when she first came out, she was not so loved at all in that terrible Clone Wars movie. The movie's terrible, but the show was great. <laughs> right, <laughs> but it was definitely other than Boba Fett. I think her appearance was the moment of season two definitely and white lightsabers look so much better in live action it's kind of crazy <laughs> that they do <laughs> but um yeah so she she first debuted in the clone wars thing and i think the most interesting aspect about her and why she's so loved is that she's anakin skywalker's one and only apprentice which really was interesting for them to do something that you know well what was she in episode three and the fact that they followed through with her making sense why she wasn't around is why I think is kind of the brilliance of the character, but also flushed out Anakin Skywalker's humanity a little bit. He wasn't just that guy complaining about sand and creeping on Padme. Yeah, and that's what was missing from the prequels. Ahsoka was the glue that held Anakin together. Like you said, his humanity and just like him in his like Jedi teachings, you never realize how great of a Jedi he actually was. But in Clone Wars and with Ahsoka by his side, you see how good of a person he actually was. Right. And the thing is about Ahsoka is that she was like constantly and it was great too with her character in the Clone Wars is that we got to see her get trained kind of or be on missions with multiple different Jedi that were just background characters. Like I love the fact that she was discovered by Plo Koon. Um, if you don't know who he is, he's the guy with the really cool orange head with the black mask who literally you didn't get to see him do a whole lot except for get shot down in episode three. Yeah, he's very underutilized and you can tell in the interaction in Clone Wars between Ahsoka and Plo Koon that she actually learned quite a bit from 
Plo Koon even before becoming Anakin's apprentice. Right. I guarantee the one thing that she just didn't start on a good foot based on bad writing, and I don't think she ever called him this again, but calling him Sky Guy. <laughs> I know that made a lot of people cringe when she first showed up. Well, yeah, Anakin's nickname for her was Snips, and her nickname for him was Sky Guy. Yeah, I always liked Snips because she was a little snippy. Uh, I do like the one quote um, that he was just said, uh, Anakin said, I'm looking at it right now in the notes, uh, you're a reckless little one, you would have never made it as Obi-Wan's Padawan, but you might make it as mine. I always thought that was really, it was just show the playfulness and how she was very gung-ho just like her master, but she also learned constantly that he wasn't doing the right things with his feelings or certain things like that. Well, she also learned that there's always more than one way to accomplish the mission, <laughs> which mm -hmm. I really liked because Anakin was always, like you said, was always reckless and going about it completely the wrong way, but ended up getting it done. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just to see, uh, it's gonna be interesting because we saw a little bit with Rosario Dawson's uh live action performance of her is that she's still hurting from those years of the Clone Wars and certain things. She learned lessons, but it, it seems like she's kind of um jaded now, especially with how she wanted to take Grogu because Grogu had attachment and she kind of alluded to it. She saw what that did to people before. She she didn't say it straight up, but you know she's thinking of Anakin and. You know, one time she met Darth Vader, it did not go so well. <laughs> right. Well, technically, she's died twice. And yes. And resurrected by some version, like some miraculous thing by the Force. Uh, I don't think we'll go into that too much, but... No. Um, so to kind of start with her background, she was as you said getting so much experience from anakin leading the uh leading his battalion which is the 501st legion that was the mm -hmm. clone squadron assigned to anakin and assigned to ahsoka and she just commanded the like commanded the room commanded respect with all of the missions that she led and what kind of brought her to the point as where we see her in the Mandalorian is she was actually framed by a fellow Padawan learner named Barris. She was framed yep. for blowing up a hangar in the Jedi Temple and murdering multiple people. And the Jedi Council ended up like casting her out. She was basically running for her life because she was trying to find who set her up and why. And that's really what kind of put her on her path of like she believes in the Jedi. It's it's kind of like when someone is religious and then they're not so religious anymore. She she looked at the Jedi as being flawed. She saw them for like kind of what Luke said in uh, episode eight when he brought up how the Jedi was so dormant. Everything was black and white to him. They weren't as feeling as like a Qui-Gon Jinn was. Um, and the thing that really made me upset and I totally agree with her is like the second she was found innocent, they're like, yeah, you can come back. I loved it. That was such a powerful moment, how she walked away, and it just set up the first nail of many nails uh, to get put into Anakin's dark side path. Like It kind of seemed like Palpatine loved that because he knew what this was going to do to Anakin. Yeah, in the Clone Wars animated series, like you could see it on his face. As soon as she left, you saw like something snap in him, like just something completely left his body. 
Yeah, and I wish we could have seen more of that, uh, the effect, because when we picked up in season seven and then season six, too, um, you got to see him be a little bit jealous of Padme when she was flirting with that, or not flirting, but caught with that one senator. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, I wish we could have seen, it just sucked that, you know, it got canceled and we only got like uh, 12 more episodes, but it would have been interesting to see how he was on campaigns after that. Because, you know, you saw just a little bit in that first four episode arc that he's in. But you didn't get to, like, you could tell he was hurting, like, he was missing something. Yep. And then when we see her again is in Rebels, where she is kind of become this, like, I don't know, leader of the rebellion, but like a secret leader. She's part of this group called Fulcrum, which is helping aid resistance groups all over the galaxy. Yeah, as soon as Fulcrum got mentioned, I knew that was Ahsoka Tano when I was watching the show. I'm like, it has to be Ahsoka because we never knew what happened to her because Rebels literally came out. I want to it came out like two years after the show got canceled and it was so cool and it made sense why she had to be undercover because the second Empire would have found out a Jedi was involved, the rebellion doesn't become this like little spark to them. It becomes a problem and, you know, we saw what happened once she did get found out. Inquisitors, more Inquisitors started coming and also because of Kanan but mm. I, I loved how she didn't like try and take Ezra and Kanan over as apprentices she looked at them as equals she knew the relationship they were building and she wasn't interfering in it too much she was kind of just being like somewhat of a guiding hand but not being their master so uh just to touch on who Kanan is real quick he is a survivor of order 66 and helps lead a rebellion group during the days of Vader and the Empire, and ends yeah. up dying in Rebels, which is why we're not really going to talk about him, because we're not going to see him in any live action, but he does play a huge role in the training of Jedi Ezra Bridger, and he was really good friends with Sabine, who we'll talk about, and good friends to Ahsoka. Ah, I like how you did that, Ron. Good job, good job. So, yeah, back to Ahsoka. Now, this is what, you know, over the season, you know, Inquisitors, I like how she just pushed them aside like they were nothing to her because Inquisitors are only fallen Jedi. They're not Sith. They're trying to be Sith, but they're more like assassins. And the other cool thing about that was leading up to when, and it kind of alluded and we got to see it, is when she confronted Maul when they went to the Sith temple planet. Uh, I'm trying to double check to see what it was called. Uh, You know, the planet on Rebels for the season two? Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. I can't remember the planet. It was, uh, no, it wasn't Malachor. I don't think the planet is necessarily that important. No, it's not. It's it's what leads it to it. Um, yes. No, it is Malachor. Yeah, it is Malachor. It's not Malachor 5, but that's, here we go. I'm just double checking <laughs> it. But this, this was cool because we got to see her go up against Maul and they alluded that they ran into each other, but we never saw it in Rebels. But the really great thing about this was the most epic showdown. Like, it almost was as good as when Obi-Wan Kenobi fought Vader, but was seeing Ahsoka and Vader look at each other for the first time, I want to say in like five years, or no, 14 years, something like that. Yeah, it was uh, was a good 14 years, because, yeah, this was completely, uh, I think this was four or five years before the Battle of the Death Star. Yeah, season four ends right before uh, the Yavin. Yeah, I mean, for 
yep. and A New Hope. So it's really interesting how she tries to do the Luke thing, but it just doesn't work. She tries to like console him. And when Va- when she's like, I'm not going to leave you this time. And Vader just looks at her with his helmet cracked open and you see Anakin's eye. And he just says, then you will die. And they blended the voice of actor of Anakin with the Vader of James Earl Jones. That moment still gives me goosebumps to like every time I watch it. And the music score. Oh. <laughs> Honestly, that was probably one of the best, like, animated scenes ever. <laughs> oh, yes. It definitely just, it, it got back to what we love about Star Wars. It's, yes, we love the big battles. Yes, we love the ships. We love seeing Jedis. But it's the way these characters are written and live in this universe, in this galaxy, is why people love it so much. Well, yeah, and in this battle with Vader, the entire Sith temple on Malachor concaves in on her and vader so she was presumed dead at this point so this is one yeah, of these times i was talking about where she technically died well and there's one other thing too that we kind of skipped over is that you got to see this owl now this owl real quick is like a point in clone wars obi-wan and anakin and Ahsoka get taken to this unknown planet well, you find out it's literally the embodiments of the Force. They're, kind of, they're gods. So you have the father, his son, who looks like an Inquisitor. He's yep. the, he represents the dark side. And then the daughter, who literally looks like a Greek painting of like what an angel would be. It's kind of like that angel Anakin thought Padme was. And when uh, she sacrifices herself to save Ahsoka, but she kind of is resurrected as an owl. And this owl constantly follows Ahsoka Tano. And I kind of liked that. And that was the only glimpse you saw in Rebels. It was at the end of the cave. You saw this owl flying. So it kind of hinted she was still alive. Mm -hmm. But how? That was the crazy thing. Nobody knew how until the last season. Yeah, and we'll touch on that real quick. So Ezra stumbles into this dimension of the Force, which actually contains all space and time. And he opens up a doorway to that moment where Ahsoka and Vader get buried under the rubble and he pulls ahsoka out and ahsoka basically becomes the keeper of all time and space yep and that is where he pulled her out and she said i can't go with you and she goes back to that moment where we don't see her until the end of rebels and she looks like gandalf the white and there she's out to search for ezra bridger that's all we know about them and then next thing we know we're seeing her in mandalore and she's ready to, she's looking for thrawn because Ezra and Thrawn got shipped to uh, unknown regions because of, um, sound weird, but there's whales that can make jumps to light speed, and they, they took them, and nobody's seen them since. So it kind of understand she finds Thrawn, she'll find Ezra. So let's get into the next person that made an appearance in uh, Season 2. Ah, my favorite woman, Bo-Katan, played by my probably one of my favorite sci-fi actresses, uh, at least in top five, Katie Sackhoff, who actually got to voice the character and play her in live action, unlike the one who did it for Ahsoka Tano, which I was okay with. But um, this was a character I knew a lot more people I feel like casual fans wouldn't connect to because, you know, it's a female Mandalorian. Anyone who watched Battlestar Galactica in the early 2000s instantly knew who she was. Yeah, and she has a very rich history from Clone Wars and even Rebels. Yeah, she's, uh, um, as I told you, I was watching Survivor. She flip-flops a lot from where you see her into who she is in Mandalorian. And I know everyone wants her to get the Darksaber, like, to lead the Mandalorians and all that, but I'm like, you guys don't understand. She's not so 
perfect or innocent as you think. She's got a lot of blood on her hands. Right. So the first time we ever see her character is in Clone Wars, and she's part of this terrorist organization called Death Watch, which is a faction of Mandalorians. Yeah, because when we find the Mandalorians have gone after, you know, generations of Naito Republic of them always being fighters and conquerors, they are taking and it desolated their people. Uh, her sister, who is now uh, current, trying to think what the word is I'm looking for. Uh, she is Duchess. Yeah, Duchess. They want to be more, uh, I'm trying to think. They don't. Um, uh, yeah, there you go. Thank you. See you around. This is why I want you as my co-host. They they want to bring back, though. They think that is stupid. It's making them weak, and they want to be what they are, soldiers, warriors, fight for honor. To them, a glorious way to die is not lying in bed, but is lying in a field. So it's, it, this is where it gets interesting because they're, dude, they're like completely taking over settlements. Like they literally have like a whole village of slaves making them do stuff for them. It's terrible. So when we first see Death Watch, they are in league with Count Dooku and the Separatists. Yep, he lo- he knows how to find Mandalorians. <laughs> yep, and Dooku ends up betraying them, and so then they go after Dooku, but they're still a terrorist organization at that point. Then they kind of go into hiding a little bit since Dooku and the Sis were after them, and end up partnering with Darth Maul and Savage Opress to retake over Mandalore. And that was the downfall of this group because they thought they could control Maul, but they don't realize is that Maul was always thinking five steps ahead of him because this Darth Maul is not the Darth Maul who used to be just a weapon and blind by rage. He is more focused. He is taking a lot from what his master is, and he knows exactly what these guys could be for him, his army. Because the takeover of Mandalore, he literally is doing what his master is just on a smaller scale because they pretty much get every crime syndicate to bow to them. And like the Black Sun leaders and all these other underground organizations, they pretty much make a fake attack on Mandalorian and make the Death Watch look like heroes. Then Maul ends up killing the leader of Death Watch and claiming the Darksaber. Yeah, pre-Vizsla claiming the Darksaber for himself, which means he technically is the undisputed ruler of Mandalore, but you have a whole group of Mandalorians not accepting his rule because he's an outsider. Yeah, and because she just doesn't see him as Mandalorian, and like we said, Mandalorian is not a race, it's a creed. And once Pre Vizsla gets killed, it just, the faction gets split right down the middle. Half of them follow her, half of them inform the Night Owls, and the other half stay with Maul. And it leads into a bunch of craziness. Uh, I wish some of it we got to see in the comics, because, you know, Palpatine doesn't like it too much. So uh, Bo Katan helps Obi Wan Kenobi escape. It leads to a giant war. And Maul gets captured by um, a very pissed off Darth Sidious. His brother gets killed. And next thing you know, in season seven, Bo-Katan's looking for Ahsoka Tano. So the way the Republic can help them overthrow Maul. Yep. And then that's pretty much wraps up her appearance in Clone Wars. And then we see her again leading that resistance against basically the uh, Empire's puppet leader of Mandalore in uh, Rebels. So she's rebelling against the leader and ends up finding a different Mandalorian clan, uh, the clan of Ren. Yep. And this gets very interesting because it kind of sucks because we we don't know what happened because last thing I remember and even saw was that Sabine Ren gave her the Darksaber and was like, lead our people. And then in Mandalorian, she doesn't have it. So it'll be interesting if 
we get to see flashbacks of what happened during this thing called the Great Purge and how she was able to lose it. But she clearly isn't the most leader-worthy character. She She's good second command, and she's a symbol of hope because of her family. But the thing is that she seems to always get in her own way. Well, and uh, as you said, she has a checkered past. She basically just makes decisions on what's best for her. So yeah, exactly. She's not exactly the leader type, but because of her name, because of her background, Mandalorians choose to follow her. Exactly, exactly. But the cool thing I've liked about her in Mandalorian is that I liked, I don't know, maybe it was just seen in live action and her facial expressions were like way more, but I liked how she was able to get Din Djarin to like follow her, like and trust her. And she's willing, and hell man, she clearly has an A-squad with her. I mean, three of them alone made Din look like he was nothing. And I'm glad you brought up Din, because in season two, we learn he is part of this cult called Children of the Watch. So this cult that raised Din is actually kind of a break-off or a restart of the group death watch exactly and this this was very interesting that there's fractions within factions and she's like she's trying to put an end to it now she's like we all need to form under one unity except for boba fett because he's not really <laughs> he's not really a so, <laughs> he he's just a copy of a former mandalorian but yeah it, as we seen throughout star wars history mandalorians all fighting as one is some scary shit <laughs> Yes, yes, especially when they're they're on their A game, yeah, and when they know they have the tactical advantage over you. There's nothing you can do, and we haven't even been able to see what they really can do. Like I loved, I I can't wait to see them take on somebody with a lightsaber again or go and duel because Mandalorians they have generations of training to take out a Jedi. And which the we best might cars, get, uh, yeah, which yeah we might and, get in season three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and the Beskar steel is the only known thing that can withstand a lightsaber. Right, and that's very interesting to me, because I guess in Knights of Republic, I forget what they called it, but that's what the swords were kind of made out of, too. They kind of hinted at it, because the sword, you, you know, you'd be playing that game, and you're like, how is this sword not getting cut in half from a lightsaber right now? <laughs> so it's, it's always been hinted at, but now it's kind of like, it's their version of vibranium or that stuff but now this kind of gets interesting because you know death watch we call it a terrorist group but then of course they saved one of the best you know formidable characters in star wars in a long time and honorable characters in din john so it's like are they really bad are they really not it's very interesting how history writes itself differently in star wars i would say let's uh jump into the person that handed the leadership of the mandalorians over to bo katan yeah sabine ran um this character uh her being a graffiti artist was always interesting to me and then i thought she you know she was just like a fun character you know for young girls to look up to you know like oh we got to make her colorful we'll we'll do something different and you know she you don't see a whole lot from her until about i want to say it was like season two season three is when really you realize sabine is probably the most badass on the ghost crew And especially her background is so insane. The fact that she worked for the Empire at one point and left her family and ended up, you know, leaving the Empire again and um, finding herself with a family she could actually trust in the ghost crew. It's just, wow, this girl's gone through a lot. So she, instead of becoming a warrior Mandalorian, like pretty much every Mandalorian, she went into the like Empire Academy 
on Mandalore and the weapons that she designed and built ended up murdering billions of people. Well, maybe not billions, but probably millions of people. And she felt so bad about it because she thought her weapons were going to be used for good. Right, and it was just terrible because this one weapon, um, I forget what it's called, but it's like an electricity pulse thing that, like, imagine what Palpatine's Force Lightning can do, but it'll trigger onto certain armor types and fry them from within. And you see it in the opening of, I believe it was season four, when they're trying to rescue her dad, and all of a sudden, like, half her regiment just gets wiped out, and the only thing left standing is just their armor scarred and burnt. I thought that was, that's gotta be, that's brutal. Like, even for a kid's show, it's like, yeah, they get disintegrated enjoy but yeah from the academy she went on to be a bounty hunter and then ended up in the services of harris and doula and kanan jarris and like you said became part of the ghost crew and really ended up being kind of a leader of the whole crew by the uh by the end of it yeah it's like her and ezra were like perfectly getting trained to step up and take over like be symbols of the rebellion like if certain things didn't go down it would have been interesting if how they would have played in the movies because you know it would have been nice and you know i'm guaranteeing on um forest moon and endor to have sabine and ezra there on the ground tax team it would have definitely flipped everything and also one of my favorite episodes is the trial uh, episodes is trial of the dark saber when she's getting trained how to fight with it it's not like just a sword to her it's got way to it and you gotta learn how to balance it and i loved her duels with kanan like how she just unleashes rage on him with all of her pent-up motions and like how she's just telling him like i've done i've gone through this the guilt of her family and helping the empire and build weapons that just destroyed mandalore and it's just such a powerful moment to score rising it, it was very beautifully well done and well crafted like you're seeing this character change in front of you she's just not a smart mouth that's good with bombs and paints awesome graffiti which i thought was a very cool touch on her too it made her stand out more made her realize she was more of an individual in that armor yeah she had a personality compared to most of the mandalorians we see on screen yeah right i mean uh, sasha banks character that we saw in this season uh you know she just gave a one-eye look and i honestly that's who i wish was being um that actually uh, i know you don't watch wrestling that much but she a lot of reason people thought she was being is because she changes her hair color and her stuff like that like especially when she had purple hair and like if you cut that short you look a lot like sabine man so the uh, the person I thought was Sabine was actually someone who was dressed up in Empire gear, like the woman with really short hair that was uh, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes, I, I, she looked a lot like it too. I thought she was going to end up being Sabine undercover. That would have been very interesting. It's going to be interesting to see who they cast and how they bring her into the fold. Right. Like what, of course she's going to be, like is she going to be in the Ahsoka show? Is she going to be in the Mandalorian show? Probably both, I'm guessing. The one thing I wish they would have done a little bit better with her character is just the way she found the Darksaber. So uh, Maul takes Ezra to Dathomir, which is the birthplace of the Night Sisters and the birth planet of Maul. And she just randomly finds it in the head Night Sisters like kind of lair. Yeah, I I agree with you on that. I mean, the only thing I didn't like about her was just stuff in season one. She seemed like a little bratty here and there. Um, it's stupid for her to paint a TIE fighter. <laughs> but yeah, she was definitely one of the more formidable characters. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I'm glad her and Ezra didn't get together too. I'm glad they took more of a brother sister thing, but who knows? Watch they'll end up making out when they see each other. Well, yeah, uh, so let's uh, lead into Ezra then, because last time we see Sabine, she's searching for Ezra. Yeah, Ezra just like I, I think Ezra is the definition, not definition, but he his his evolution was definitely like of uh, Sokotano. He's very annoying and just the stupid slingshot thing they gave him in season one of Rebels, which is super annoying. Like it was, I'm glad they got rid of it, but like he has a great dark backstory, like you know him trying to find his parents and mm. all that great stuff. And I liked his force abilities, though he becomes a Jedi, but it's like a different type of Jedi. I kind of forget his powers. He was like, he could kind of see into the force, right? It was more of like he had a very strong connection with animals. Like he could communicate with animals like really well, like not like have full on conversation, but he he could influence them and he could feel them a lot. Like um, I remember when they went to a place, um, they went to an old station that actually is in Clone Wars season seven. And there's these giant bat-like creatures. And, you know, of course, the Inquisitor comes there and Ezra just brings up the mom. And it's super dark power because it's such a dark style creature. This kind of gives him, like, Kanan had to tell him, like, hey, stop, stop, stop. Because it was, like, that's powerful. And it kind of was a returning theme. He was always, like, whether with Lothal Cat or the wolves, just he had, that was his thing. And of course, the whales at the end. So it's kind of like he was very in tune with the nature side of the force, which we've never really seen before. We've always just seen them be able to lift stuff and all that. Yeah. And like you said, his backstory is so dark where his parents were actually killed by the Empire. So he becomes this like solo pickpocket kind of freedom fighter on his home planet of Lethal at yeah. finding Kanan and the ghost crew. Yeah. And the thing is that he goes like a mile a minute like Kanan starts training him and next thing you know he and I liked how he never became like um you know like how can I say this like a Neo he didn't become all of a sudden like this great Jedi I liked how his training was progressively like by the end of season four yeah he's formidable with a lightsaber and doing stuff but I like how he's constantly still fighting between dark side and light side and that doesn't help when Maul finds him and Maul keeps calling him his apprentice and all that. So I would say Kanan's kind of like on the same path as Ahsoka too, where he's going to be in the middle. He's not truly a Jedi on the light side or dark side user. He's a great Jedi too. I'd put him right there in the smack dab middle of that as well. Well, yeah, you see uh, Ezra actually use the dark side to open up a Sith holocron. Yeah, and remember at the end of season four, he uh, beginning of season four, they're doing a mission and he grabs an ad hat and he like mind controls the people in it to walk off this platform that's like thousands of feet in the air into like a gas giant and without hesitation. Like, dang, dude, like I know you're at war, but man, Jedi don't do that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, even throughout his entire arc, he he questions Kanan's teachings and questions the way of the Jedi. He's like, basically, the Empire is using all these tactics like we need to beat them at their own game using like those kind of tactics right and then like the other thing he always was to say i loved how he didn't want to abandon he was all for his planet lethal that was his driving thing was to free his people of lethal because he had so many connections and you see that every time he's either on the planet or he keeps going back and it's getting worse and worse you can see the rage in his eyes like in the pain he's suffering too because yeah. he loved the planet is his home like it, that is his family because his family loved that place so much 
And I always thought it was cool. Like as soon as like the way Kanan dies, he sacrifices himself to save Ezra and the ghost crew. And I feel like that just completely solidified Ezra's like commitment to the light side because he ends up doing the same thing to save the ghost crew at the end of the Rebels series. Yeah, and his plan was so brilliant how he kind of became the de facto leader after that point because, you know, everyone rallied, we're going to do this for Ezra. We're going to take Lothal. We're getting rid of Thrawn and the Empire off of Lothal. We're going to take this planet. And I liked how his plan almost failed, but his confrontation with Palpatine, which was brilliant. Um, The fact that they brought Ian McDermott back for that was incredible to just do that voice scene because if you don't want, if you haven't seen it, um, he's like in this part of this old Jedi temple, which they taken away and Palpatine's doing a voice call with him and he's looking like Palpatine before Mace Windu, which I thought was brilliant and trying to like, Hey, if you go in here, you can have your family back. Do it. And he just sacrificed. He's like, he tells his parents, I love you. And just takes down the temple and goes, you know, he goes to fight Thrawn. And he's like, that's it. I'm done. Like, I ain't ain't turning my back on this. I have my family and they need me. Yeah. And as you mentioned before, uh, Ezra ends up disappearing in his fight with Thrawn. Him and Thrawn were taken into hyperspace by these, uh, like, these whales called the Pergil, which he said can uh, yeah. travel at light speed from each end of the galaxy. And it's crazy how Ezra, who wasn't really experienced in any kind of tactics, any kind of like planning, was able to really outsmart Thrawn. And we'll get into why that was so uh why that was so impressive. Yeah, and even Thrawn has respect for him too. Like when he's like cuz Thrawn is a man who studies art and gets to know a culture he's going to take over and he's like showing respect. He's like your ghost crew. He's like, you know, he's like kind of taunting him but at the same time he's like I have utmost respect for you. That's why like I never took you guys not serious. But the other crazy thing was how he always kept Darth Maul away and he kind of saw the bigger picture with Darth Maul like because he's so driven to destroy the Sith and it's not until he meets Obi-Wan Kenobi that he realizes like that's not what his destiny is right yeah I completely forgot he had that interaction with Kenobi that really kind of put him on the right path yeah and I love it how um Ezra like Kenobi's like you're not supposed to be here because he's meeting Kenobi like right when he's been on Tatooine for a while and it leads to you know he he even says like I'm gonna help you defeat Maul and he's like this isn't your fight and he's like trusting yourself and all that stuff and he leaves him but that was like one of those other cool moments like Ezra has touched base with so many impactful characters like Lando I always thought it was a funny joke whenever he was caught he said his name was Lando Calrissian um <laughs> he meets Princess Leia and you know he's he loves her spunk so it was like a bunch of little cool moments he's had with a lot of characters in this universe yeah, and I really don't know what his role will be upcoming in a live action sequence, but I think we might be getting uh, Ezra Thrawn rematch at some point. Yeah, if anything, it's going to be a battle of wits because my theory is the people, uh, the soldiers on the planet were remet in episode four with um, Ahsoka Tano uh, or episode five. The Those, I feel like, are his soldiers. I really do. I feel like Thrawn somehow either has Ezra's prisoner, they got separated, and Thrawn's got like a little militia 
at his side because he could still have those starter screwers too because there was like three of them that got bamboozled in the hyperspace and i think that's where we transition into thrawn who other than the actual sith themselves was the most dangerous son of a bitch the empire has produced and the crazy thing is he's the only non-human to ever serve in the galactic empire and that's because palpatine was so intrigued by him and how well he was because thrawn he wants the empire and he wants command in the empire so he can actually protect his own race of people i did not know that i did not know that was his reason for uh yeah well like in the novel um the legends now he kind of knows of like this other race of people um race of aliens that are like resistant to the force and all this stuff but like yeah that's kind of like his whole thing is that he wants to make sure his army he can transfer like them like under the protection of uh the empire and then they're in the unknown region so that's kind of why palpatine likes him because it kind of gives him more insight. And dude, he got to meet Anakin Skywalker too. I completely forgot about that before I was like looking into it when before we started recording here. And yeah, like Anakin actually helped save Thrawn or like did a mission with Thrawn because it like served both their interests at the time. Yeah, and Thrawn and Kyle always knew who Vader was too. He's like, I know who you are. Same because like Thrawn and Tarkin were they're on the same level, but they was kind of just like uh they they kind of always watched each other kind of thing. Because Thrawn thought his TIE Defenders, when we see him, he's making his awesome spaceships that would have changed the world, truly. He didn't, he, him like uh, Vader, he, they thought the Death Star was a mistake. I didn't know he, he thought that was a mistake. Yeah, because him and uh, what's her, uh, the guy from Rogue One, they're competing to each other because they want, he needs more funding. And he, you know, he, that's why like the Tide Defender project was so important to him because he needed to make sure it got funding and pushed in the forefront. And that would have pushed him higher up on the list. Like he would have been like, I think he was like one of the only Grand Admirals. Like, I think there's four or five of them. I'm not entirely sure, but I'm pretty sure that would have put him, like, right there next to Palpatine. Like, he would have, you know, been one of Palpatine's right-hand men. So, it gets very interesting. There's so much on Thrawn, we can't really get into it. Um, But when he got brought into Rebels, his demeanor was so fantastic. That's, I guess, uh, kind of a trait of the kind of alien he is. They all have this, like, cool, calm, collected, like, demeanor where they're never gonna actually show emotion. Oh, yeah, and Thrawn is ruthless. Like, he, as you saw when he was battling in Rebels, uh, when they have him on chopper base, like, pinned up against the wall, his plan would have worked. His plan worked. Like, his bombardment is his favorite thing to do because he, he's like, why send down troops when, you know, we got all these cannons? <laughs> Light them up. Like, that was his go-to move. He just carpet bombed the crap out of you into submission because once he had the upper hand, he he would never let go of it. He never just relied on it, but he knew how to put yourself in that position. And as you stated earlier, just like his study of tactics and everything else, like even if he if that plan didn't succeed, he probably had at least five backup plans ready to go. He was that much of a strategist. Yeah, and I loved how he did the artwork. Like, um, when he met Hera, and he's like dismantling her home planet and her family, and he like looks at her materials. He's just like, "War! It's all you've ever known. You were so young when you survived the Clone War. No wonder you're equipped in the spirit to fight us like you do. War is in your blood. I study the art of war. Work to perfect it. But you, you will forge by it." So it was a cool little lines like that. Like that is just. 
That's some great bad guy monologuing, too. <laughs> it really is. There's so many good fan castings already of Thrawn. Yeah, man. Um, I I want uh Cumberbatch a lot, but you know, it's I I honestly the guy who voices him in the show. I think they're saying he might actually do it. I'm gonna look up who that is. I'll get the exact same name. But what's you what's some of your fan castings? Um, I would love to see Jason Isaacs who plays Lucius Malfoy. I think oh, yeah. I think he is really good at delivering that like calm, cool, collected uh, line. Well, see, he really good. he already played. He was the Grand Inquisitor. Yeah, I knew that, but I yeah, mean, for live he said he purposes. oh yeah, he said he would come back to play the Inquisitor again. He said that was like one of his favorite roles. Oh, that'd be sweet. But uh, Lars Mikkelsen, yes, that's who voices him. And I, he, Jesus, I forgot how many Mikkelsens there are. <laughs> He's someone who's very interesting to me. I, I, and looking at his like looking at him and you know normal view. He seems to put the blue makeup on him, and he kind of looks like Thrawn. Like, I'm looking at him right now, face by face. That would be pretty interesting. And without Thrawn, the First Order would have never actually came into existence because of his knowledge of the unknown regions where he was transported to. That's where the First Order was able to sit and gather their forces, and no one ever knew about him because no one knows the unknown regions. No one ever travels out there. Yeah, and you know for a fact that he did either he just aged out and died because you know we don't know how long his species can last, or yeah, it's like where where why wasn't he like there like leading the charge? Like why why was Hux you know General Hux in charge? It, it, that's where it gets his story is going to be very interesting. What happens to him? Yeah, and I can't wait to see all these characters come to life because it seems like uh, Star Wars has pretty much taken on the routes of uh, Marvel where it's like, okay, you casted everyone perfectly, bravo. Yeah, exactly. And they, they're doing very well with their stories as well. And uh, I think the last character that we should mention, because it seems to be Luke Skywalker's getting his own show in uh it's not canon yet but in the star wars legends he actually has a wife named yeah yeah i'm gonna let you take over this one i know of her i've never read those books um but you you give a little bit more of it i know she's just a spunky hot redhead that i think george lucas wasn't a fan of so that's pretty much what i know of her so when she makes her first appearance she was raised as a servant and assassin to emperor palpatine um so okay basically she becomes the darth maul later on in um in the era of the empire yeah i i've heard that and she was pretty much trained to kill luke right <laughs> like she much, was yeah she was part of palpatine's like plan b yep so basically palpatine trained her in every form of force expertise and fighting styles in order to just go and kill luke that's very cool <laughs> that's very great uh, so yeah <laughs> but so after palpatine's like supposed death like when vader ends up killing palpatine she's off planet but her final orders were to go and kill luke and then since she uh learned of her master's death she went rogue and became a smuggler and bounty hunter instead of continuing with like the assassin ways so when she got to luke like was it more of just like his blonde hair and blue eyes went over or did they get in a big fight when they met each other so um when they first meet they're actually teaming up 
to go against Thrawn in uh, oh really in book yes so and when she works with Luke she developed like a kind of a grudging respect for him huh. and then that's um, interesting yeah and basically ends up falling in love with Luke and they get married okay and that's where these uh, they have children correct um I don't know if it ever got that far um okay I'm looking here i don't think they had children but right. they were together for a little while yeah they did have a child uh ben oh okay huh so it kind of makes sense where they got that from <laughs> <laughs> in the books she's actually killed by her nephew jason solo yeah i okay that makes sense because <laughs> no it, it does i remember because it was fan casting that um back in 2013 a lot of people wanted zach efron to play uh jason solo because they thought like hey he's a good looking guy and also he's a really good actor i mean a lot of people hate on him because you know that disney movie high school musical but if you've seen some of his other stuff he can go into some dark places Right. But I mean, that's pretty much like the gist of her character. But if Luke's getting his own show, I think we'll be seeing her in some shape or form. Yeah, I mean, because we're only five years after the fall of the Empire. So, you know, some of those contingency plans could still be going on. We, we see this faction of Empire still going on. Yep. So it shall be interesting to see how they kind of... I just wish they would have done this show before the sequel trilogy. <laughs> all right because now we just know she's gonna die if she comes into the show she has to die at some point or they just you know it, it'd just be weird because i remember a lot of people um when luke is standing at the end of force awakens you know there's that tombstone a lot of people thought it was her tombstone that oh, he was yeah. like mourning over I so really it was kind of yeah i know dude I, I love star wars but some of these people man they just they just know they just know stuff they know how to get the cauldron bubbling of fan fiction bullshit as i like to call it <laughs> when we see luke again in the uh newest trilogy isn't he kind of like doesn't he think jedi should have more attachments or less yeah um, i'm trying to remember i think it he's kind of like he's trying to oppose to the good ways of the jedi but that's why he's out seeking certain things like jedi temples like in battlefront 2 he literally raids one of palpatine's vaults looking for a compass which led him to the planet he's on when we find him because he's trying to find all this ancient jedi stuff and sith stuff so he can kind of understand both of what to look for and what to avoid kind of thing so yeah when we see him in 8 uh, I, that was the great thing is how he just called out the jedi council and there's actually a book that came out um that luke actually wrote down because luke knows of every jedi uh i'm gonna look up the title of the book but like if you read it like every time a jedi comes out because the book's all written from his point of view and um he literally has like he knows who qui-gon jinn was all that stuff i think it's called star wars the path of the jedi or star wars the secrets uh of the yeah star wars the secrets of the jedi okay and this is all written from luke's point of view from what I gathered, when we were supposed to see him, he was supposed to be more leaning towards a gray Jedi, but we didn't right. exactly get that. Yeah, like, it was, but it just showed that, like, I don't know why, but Disney wanted to, or Ryan Johnson and Kathleen Kennedy signed off on the script. For some reason, they wanted Luke to be a certain way, and that's why Mark Hamill didn't like playing Luke that way. You know, it, it was just a simple thing like, yeah, he, he screwed up and so now he hated himself. So he went into hiding. It reminded me too much of like what they did with um Professor X and Days of Future Past. Like with they were trying to do it. They just didn't execute it. 
Because, you know, when we find Professor X in Days of Future Past, you know, he's shut himself from his mind powers. All of his students are dead or captured. And that I thought was more powerful because it made more sense. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because he was new at it. Mm-hmm. But it's like, Luke, come on, man. Like, and also that whole thing where he tried to kill Kylo because he sensed a second of darkness in him. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to kill him. Like, right. even though he's like, well, he held back. It's like, no, Luke literally brought back the guy who literally had bloods of millions upon millions on his hand. And younglings. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> so I really hope this Luke Skywalker show fixes all that stuff. I think that's what they're aiming for is to kind of rewrite the story and give him a proper ending. Right. And uh, we'll see. Maybe Mara Jade will bring more of these questions out in it. Yeah, I think that would be one way to do it for sure. Is to, Because, I mean, he has attachments to Han and Leia, so what's one more? Yeah, right. Exactly. So we shall see. And honestly, I think maybe they'll recast at least Princess Leia in the show, I could see. Um, or a and then probably being Brack, the guy from Solo to play Han Solo to kind of, you know, do these scenes with Luke. So it's going to be interesting. And he's got Grogu now, too. <laughs> I'm just hoping we get an actual casting live action Luke. Agreed. Agreed. But, Brian, is there anything else you want to touch upon? I think that kind of wraps up on the characters and factions of Mandalorians that people need to know for uh, the future to come. I'm sure as more things come out that we'll do more episodes breaking down some characters that people don't know about. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because we do have the Open One show. Obi-Wan Kenobi show is starting to film in spring, so more casting and news will probably come about that. So um, it will be interesting to see what other new characters from either Legends or completely 100% new characters come out of that show as well. And kind of, I like what they're doing. We compare them to Marvel um, and our friend Chuck Bean uh, back at the radio station, we agreed the best things Marvel does is that they take the elements from the comic book, but they don't completely do it. And yeah. I kind of think that's what they should do with these legend stories, because not everything in Legends is fantastic. They trust me, it's, <laughs> there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on, like clones of Luke, clones of Palpatine, stuff like that. And it gets very weird. <laughs> Although one thing I do hope to see from Legends brought to canon is Luke pulling down a Star Destroyer with the Force and just crumbling yes. it. <laughs> See, that's why I just want a live action version of the whole battle of uh, Jakku, because I think he does something like that, or he like jumps out of a ship in orbit at one point. So it'll be very interesting to see. And there's some stuff, too, that he does really well in the Kylo Ren miniseries that came out, The Rise of Kylo Ren, like when he fights uh, the Knights of Ren and their original leader, it it gets pretty cool. It would be kind of cool to actually see that whole sequence like come to fruition in a Luke Skywalker show. I agree 100%. 100% with you, buddy. Well, on that note, I think this is where we put a pin in it, buddy. <laughs> all right. You take it easy, Ron, and thank you all for downloading and listening. Appreciate it very much. This is generally what we're going to do. Probably uh, jump from news to then characters things because stuff like that, maybe. We like to explore Star Wars and try and bring things forward that you may have not known or let's admit it, not everyone is crazy about Star Wars like me and Ron. So you might not have time to watch every little thing and read every little thing. And we'll throw in an occasional breakdown of Marvel stuff and DC stuff. Yes, I think when WandaVision makes me more excited for what Star Wars is going to be 
could possibly be as a TV series. So I think when WandaVision's done, we might have to do a little divot from Star Wars and have a nice 15-minute conversation about this show. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> like a perfect plan. All right, Ryan. You take it easy. You too, Mike.